0: How do we parent our children in ways that lead to lasting faith? Hello and welcome to the God Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and my guest on the show today is Sarah Cowan Johnson, who's the author of a new book from IVP America called Teach Your Children Well, a step-by-step guide for family discipleship. Sarah is a ministry trainer, consultant and coach who works with church planters, pastors and ministry leaders across the states. She leads seminars for parents on family discipleship to help their children walk in the ways of Jesus. She served with the Evangelical Covenant Church as the executive pastor for Sanctuary Church in Providence, Rhode Island, and previously was a staff trainer and an area director for IVP. And also, most importantly, she's the co-host of the People of the Way podcast. And hosts of podcasts get my sympathy. (laughs) Sarah, welcome. Hi, from the States.
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me, Brent.
0: That's great. We'll talk a bit about the podcast at the end and you can give us, you can tell us where we can get hold of it. How $60 million question, Sarah, how do we parent our children (laughs) in in ways that leads to lasting faith rather than doubt and frustration?
1: Yes. Well, really, uh, the thing that I have been um, trying to help parents believe and see and kind of think about is that they actually have the tools that they need um, as followers of Jesus to help their children to follow Jesus. They have those tools themselves. I think a lot of times we'd prefer to delegate um, the discipleship of our kids to what we think of as the experts, the authorities, you know, the the professional ministry folks. And really um, what I see in scripture and what I see in statistics is that actually parents have the biggest influence on whether or not a child will follow Jesus.
0: Yes, we're going to come on and talk about how parents can create a Christian family environment in a minute. But uh, uh, you mentioned the, um, the, uh, the, the, Uh, the the professionals. I mean, I think the temptation is often for parents to, dare I say, dump it all on the youth pastor or the Sunday school teacher or the pastor and let them do it. But something like there was a staggering statistic in your book, something like 50% of high school students in the States who are actively involved in their churches, and that's actively involved, that's leading and yeah, are walking away from their faith after graduation. Now that that staggered me. Yes.
1: yeah, that is what I call the bad news. And that is no. when I was on staff at our church and I have two boys myself. That statistic floored me and just didn't sit right with me. That's a coin toss. And I want more I want more than that for my own boys and I want more than that for the kids in my church. And so that was the beginning of my journey into this topic was saying there's I'm not satisfied with this and what can we do about it?
0: Why is it happening, Sarah?
1: Well, I think there's a number of reasons. Um, but I do think that, um, that what we were just talking about, parents, um, often feel ill-equipped in this area and in many other areas of our life, we, um, tend to turn our kids over to professionals when we want something, you know, we want them to learn the piano. We find someone who's good at piano and we get them lessons. And, um, you know, I think there is a, uh, you know, a, tendency in us to do that with their faith. And that matches up to be honest with, um, the church's tendency to, um, kind of prioritize, uh, the, the professional role of pastor in the area of discipleship. And so there has been, even though we would say, you know, yes, the priesthood of all believers, what tends to happen in many churches is that the pastors and church staff are the ones really doing the work of discipleship. And so those two things tend to, to kind of match up.
0: Yes. How has the modern post-Christian culture, if I can put it like that, affected our children and disciples?
1: Yes. So one of the the most, uh, yeah, kind of unique things about the moment that we're raising our children in right now, so kids who are growing up in this moment, is that um, we're raising our kids in a very different culture than any of us grew up in when it comes to uh, the gospel. So up until about 20 years ago, in relationship to the gospel, really in the world, you could say there really are only two different types of culture. You could call them sort of pre-Christian or non-Christian cultures, where the gospel really hasn't made much of a widespread impact on culture. And then what you might call Christendom, cultures where at one point the gospel made a significant impact on, on culture. And what we've seen in the past 20 years or so, um, at least in the States and probably longer in some other places, um, is the emergence of a third kind of culture called post-Christian culture, which really is a reaction to Christendom. And so one of the ways you can think about that is it's very similar to what happens when you receive a vaccine. So your body is exposed to a little bit of a virus, usually a weakened form of that virus. And it's enough that your body learns how to defend itself against that virus. And in a way, that's what's happened with post-Christian culture is that culture has been exposed to the gospel, but usually a weakened form of that gospel um, so that it feels like it can defend itself against Christianity.
0: Has the church, in your view, taken some wrong turns in the last (laughs) few (laughs) years? You laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Has the church taken some wrong turns in the last few years in reacting and in the reaction to post-Christian culture, do you think? Yes.
1: Yeah, so what concerns me more than this shift in culture, honestly, is how the church has responded. So I think of when um, so the way I see the church kind of responding to this culture is very similar to how a frightened animal responds to a threat, and that is fight, flight, or camouflage. So we see some churches fighting this shift and really longing for the days of christendom and saying we don't want to lose our ground and we're going to fight this out in you know voting booths and we're we're this is sort of the culture war kind of churches and then flight is um these are churches that really kind of disengage and pull away from the world and um want to kind of remove themselves from what's happening um And then camouflage, these are the churches that would really just rather blend in. And that becomes a problem when we begin to sort of figure out, well, yeah, what needs to be compromised here for me to fit in? And so none of those responses are adequate to help us figure out what does it mean to confidently follow Jesus in the midst of a world that doesn't. And so the implications when we're raising kids to confidently follow Jesus in the midst of a world that doesn't, none of those responses are adequate to help us know how to do that.
0: What do you say to parents whose children or whose child has walked away from God?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, that's yeah one of the most painful things. And so, yeah, <laughs> my first response is that my heart goes out to you. Um, secondly, there are never any guarantees in this journey. And so the thing that we have to remember is that, God loved our kids before we did. God knew our kids before we did. God wants relationship with our children more than we do. And um, there is nothing by our own efforts that we can do to manufacture perfect little disciples. We cannot produce disciples in our own effort. And so if you're someone whose child has walked away, it's um, you... There's a lot of ways we can look back and sort of wonder, what did I do wrong? And that's, that's the wrong question because, um, we could do quote unquote, all the things right. And our children are still humans with their own wills and, um, they may walk away. And yet also no one is ever too far, um, for Mm. the Lord. Mm. Um, and so there is hope even for the child that is wandered like the prodigal son. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, I believe that. That's and I think that brings comfort to yeah. parents as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. How do we activate parents? Parents yeah. need to be activated. What? <laughs> yes. What are we going to do?
1: Yeah. Well. So that bad news that I shared, you know, the fifty percent statistic. What? As I began to dig into that and look at that, what encouraged me was reading about actually um, there is something that makes a dramatic difference in that statistic, and it's not church programming, better programs. It's not more church staff. It's not youth group participation or Sunday school involvement. It's the influence of parents. parents are the number one predictor of a child's spirituality throughout their lifetime, not just when they're children, but whether or not they will follow Jesus as adults. And so the the parental behavior that actually makes the biggest difference in that statistic is incredibly simple. It's parents who talk about and practice their faith at home. It turns out that about 82% of children whose parents do that go on to follow Jesus as adults. So for me, how we activate parents is to help them think about talking about and practicing their faith in the home.
0: How can we catch the God moments? Because you write about catching, you write about God moments or Kyle's yeah. moments. Don't you? How, how do we catch those God moments with our children that are so special?
1: Yes. So what I, I believe that God is always initiating with us and with our children. And so we can, you know, plan for discipleship moments, but there are also these discipleship moments that we can't plan for because God is the one who's initiating. And, um, an example in scripture is Moses with the burning bush. God is trying to get his attention with this burning bush. And Moses has a choice in that moment, whether he's going to just keep going, like nothing happened or what it says is he turned aside to see this great sight. God moments with our kids, when God's trying to get their attention and ours, they're probably not going to be that dramatic. It's not going to maybe be a bush on fire, but it might be a question. Or, um, you know, uh, an example that happens frequently with us is uh, driving and passing a person on the street who's homeless and asking for money or something. The child is distressed by this, and this is an opportunity. God's trying to get their attention. Um, And so as parents, it's noticing these moments of sort of um, spiritual, you know, awareness and God's initiative with the child um, that we want to sort of turn aside if we can and say, God, what are you doing in this moment?
0: How does God interact with our children, do you think?
1: So I believe that God um, interacts with our children directly. And so one of the things that I think parents get in the habit of doing is um, we tend to sometimes want to mediate the relationship between God and our child. So we want to talk to God on our kids' behalf, and we want to talk to our kids about God, which is great and nothing wrong with those things. But if those things replace what I would call facilitating the relationship where we encourage our children and God to interact directly, then we end up sort of standing in the middle of their Uh, relationship with God. And so from a very early age, I would say as soon as your children are verbal, um, as as much as you can, I would encourage, yes, pray for your children. Yes, pray with them, but encourage them to vocalize their own prayers, uh, to talk directly to God, and uh, teach your children from a young age that they can actually hear from the Lord directly as well
0: Mm. they can hear god's voice i think we tend to underestimate the involvement god has with even very small children um and and often how very small children can verbalize to you their faith in god yeah yes it's, it's beautiful really how do we go about creating? Spe- a, do we have a special God time slot in the family home where the Bible's read and where we take questions and we discuss the day and we pray to Jesus? Or what? What do you suggest parents do? How can we? How can we get this going?
1: Yeah, well, so one one thing that I like to talk about with parents is looking at Deuteronomy six. So Deuteronomy six is when Israel has been wandering in the desert; they're about to go into the promised land, and there's this danger that they may forget God in the promised land. And so the instructions are to impress these commandments on their children, you know, essentially teach your children well. And it says, um, talk about them as you walk along the road and when you sit at home, when you go to bed and when you uh rise in the morning. So basically the instructions there are not teach these things to your children by setting up, you know, religious schools or something. Um, it's really repurposing ordinary moments in the home for discipleship. And so my one of my sort of first encouragements to parents is to look through their week and think about where do you already have family time and routines that are just kind of happening by default. So these are things like dinner time or car rides to school or bath time if you have little kids. And how could you repurpose those moments even three to five minutes at dinner for discipleship with some um, intentional spiritual practices.
0: A mm. pastor friend of mine always impressed me because uh, when I would go for dinner, he would he would they would have a family Bible reading. They'd, they'd read a chapter of scripture every night, and he'd just explain it, and the children would ask questions, and there are about half a dozen of them. And it was just just a beautiful way of doing it. I thought it was was just so natural, and it happened so organically and part of the family meal, yeah. How do we make, we're talking about prayer, how do we make prayer real for our children?
1: That's a great question. Yeah, I think that, um, so for little children, so um, children have different uh, spiritual developmental stages, just the same way they develop emotionally or they develop socially. So for little children, they're really um, looking to their parents uh, and kind of copying and mimicking their behavior. And so, um, you know, learning memorized prayers or songs, we may look at that and think, oh, this kid is just imitating me. This isn't real faith. But actually, no, for a young, young child who experiences God um, through these actions of faith, that actually is pure faith. And so, you know, my little, when my kids were toddlers learning the Lord's prayer, they don't understand the words they're saying yet. And yet I think there is an inherent value in teaching them, um, how to pray, you know, just Mm. like mom and dad Mm. as they get older, I think, and again, it's older as in just, you know, even preschool and, and up, I think learning to talk to God in the same way that they would a friend, so having a conversation. One of my favorite ways to teach kids to pray is a practice called imaginative prayer, because um, sometimes kids need something a little bit more concrete um, than just uh, you know praying verbally. And so imaginative prayer is a way that they can actually imagine sitting next to Jesus or walking with Jesus. And simply have a conversation with Jesus through their imagination, and we're inviting the Holy Spirit to, to inspire and inform their imagination.
0: Mm. What about um, church and and worship services? How can how can we involve children in worship services?
1: Oh, I mean, um, yes, so many ways. Mm. I think for for little little children, I think um, one thing that I did with you know before when I had babies and toddlers is during the musical worship time, you know, there's always, uh, at our church, we have the option to drop off little babies at the nursery. Um, and I would always keep them in for the worship time and I would actually hold them. And, um, there's something about associating worship with love, um, for me that felt really powerful. Um, as they get older, I think, um, yeah, I actually love, even in some of the coaching work, I do coaching churches to think about having, um, family Sundays where we don't offer kids programming, but we actually invite the kids to participate fully in worship. Um, where we, you know, invite them to be on the worship team, we invite them to share in the tasks of worship, such as passing the baskets for the offering or handing out bulletins. But I think kids need to know, especially in those middle ages, um, elementary school, that they belong, that this is their their church too not just their parents church um, mm-hmm. but that they're actually part of this body
0: mm-hmm. yeah coming on to the teens we need to talk about the teens a bit yes why why is it important to acknowledge that our children and young people struggle sometimes with faith yes. and and how do we best deal with our teens questions about yeah. god
1: yeah Well, so one thing that um, is important to know is that, um, and this is a a model by um, John Westerhoff that I I really like, it's uh, just a vision for spiritual development. Um, And he says that around age 12, the developmental stage that children are in spiritually is called the questioning stage, the searching stage. And really that their genuine expression of faith is is found in their questions. Um, They absolutely are wrestling and questioning and searching. And so that can often be very troubling to churches and to parents because it feels like their questions could be a threat to their faith. But what's also a threat to their faith is not allowing those questions because the only pathway to adult owned faith is through this searching stage. And so actually shutting down those questions and saying, you know, just believe, or just have faith, or why are you asking that actually is more of a threat to lifelong genuine faith than allowing those questions. So my advice is yes, your, your teens will ask some doozies of a question, you know, and my 12 year old is already asking um, questions that, you know, sometimes I don't have an excellent answer to. And yet, Affirming—that's an excellent question. It's great that you're asking that. Let's explore this together. What do you think? Um, and even talking to God about their questions—I think this is a way to affirm. This is good. This is part of your development. This is natural, and you need to do this if we hope that you will develop an independently owned mm.
0: faith. Yes, that's right, and that, that might help some of the for the uh, people leaving, um, young people leaving the church and leaving the faith after their high school years. because Yeah, because a lot of times I think... Yeah, okay. we're, not, we're not dealing with their questions and their doubts. And uh, that's right, yeah. What are some of the ways you suggest that we can plan our children's spiritual development process in the book?
1: Yeah, so I do encourage parents to think about, um, you know, so there's the God moments that you can't plan for, right? And then um, I really do encourage parents to think about Creating a, a plan for discipleship for each child or for the family um, that takes into account their spiritual stage, um, that thinks about how do we help our discipleship of our children to be robust. And what I mean by that is um, a lot of times we think about discipleship, we think Bible reading and prayer, which are wonderful spiritual practices. We need to expose our children to those and help them to do that well. But following Jesus involves also mission, um, it involves community, it involves uh, kind of the inward journey of looking at deeply at sort of our own brokenness and asking God to bring healing and wholeness. And so sometimes I think we can do a disservice when we just focus on sort of a couple of spiritual practices that we think are the ones to do. And so part of what I encourage parents to think about is how, how can we help our kids to grow in their, um, yeah, their expression of mission and their participation in God's purposes. That's discipleship too. Mm -hmm. Um, how do we help them participate in the community of faith? That's discipleship too. And so I include in the book, um, a framework for planning, um, that includes, uh, choosing spiritual practices that are age appropriate, um, because yeah, I think that that intentionality and revisiting those plans at least annually, I think is really important.
0: Yes. There, I should add there are heaps of there's heaps of detail <laughs> in, in this book. We can only just deal with some of the basics. Last question, Sarah, before we go. Um, how do we create a Christian family culture?
1: Yeah. So I um, you know, we can do all the planning in the world, we can have all the best intentions in the world. But if the culture of our family is sort of working against us, um, we all maybe have heard the expression culture, eat strategy for breakfast. And so I really feel like spiritual practices that can be done as a family in the home is one way to tip that culture towards uh, spiritual growth, towards being able to like foster spiritual growth in the home. And so I really think practices that can be done, um, in the home across all ages, things like keeping a family Sabbath, um, where we have a 24 hour period where we rest and play together or, um, things like, yeah, uh, the practice of what I call a God hunt, which is really, um, if you're familiar with the examen, um, of consciousness, the Ignatian practice, where you're looking for God's presence throughout the day, you can practice that with almost any age, um, around the dinner table. So, shared family practices um, that the entire family participates in together begin to shape that family culture.
0: Mm -hmm. Wonderful. There we go. Uh, Before we go, Sarah, um, oh, we should mention that uh, Sarah Cowan Johnson, the book from IVP into Varsity Press America is called Teach Your Children Well, a step-by-step guide for family discipleship. There's heaps and heaps of good ideas in it. Uh, I pored over it for several hours and I, I want to go back and look at it again. Sarah, where can people find you on the web, social media, and whereabouts can we find your podcast, please?
1: Yeah, so my website is sarahcowenjohnson.com and that's Sarah with an H and Cowan with an A-N. And um, there's links to all kinds of things there, including a link to the podcast. The podcast is sort of an... Um, it's a project that I've been doing with my dad, who is a pastor, and um, we've been talking about raising kids in the way of Jesus. And so we talk about different virtues and how different spiritual practices can, can uh, raise children of virtue. So, So that's People of the Way. You can find that anywhere you get your podcasts. And then for social media, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and not much on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We've just joined Twitter. It's great fun. I've never. Done Twitter. <laughs> I've had to. I've had to learn how to do all this stuff. Fortunately, I have. And that's where I bring in my sponsor. Fortunately, I have a digital creative team who know about all this stuff because I don't. So thank you to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and take care of things behind the scenes. And Sarah, thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me.
0: Pleasure. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God's Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com godstorypodcast. That's patreo dot slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.